Please do be seated. Not for the first time last week, I was asked, are you a real vicar? I can't tell you how many times it has happened in the last 10 years. And I've been asked the same question in the middle of shops, parks, schools, and even churches. And even questioned as to whether I might be attending a fancy dress party or taking part in other questionable activities, which will not be named at this point in time. Apart from the evidently sexist overtones, i.e. nobody ever questions my male colleagues as to whether they are a real, in inverted commas, vicar, it interests me in the context of today's readings to ask what it is that people don't expect when they look at me. What do you expect to see when you see a vicar? Someone like Reverend Timms from Postman Pat? We, we both have the same problem when we go to shops or parks or churches or schools or anywhere else. It's true, and I know this from ha- having been on selection panels for new vicars in my role as area dean, that some of the laity, in fact quite a lot of the laity, still have in mind a male married to a wife who doesn't work so she can do the teas and run the Sunday school with at least two children in tow, but preferably four, so we can say we have children in church. That is what most of the laity are looking for still. In, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's 2021, and women have been ordained as priests for 27 years much more since they were deacons. But the expectation for most people is still male, white, married, with children. The surprise for most people is that I am firstly a woman. Honestly, I promise you, I have to point out the obvious fact as to why I can't be a vicar in the Roman Catholic Church. And they stand and look at me and go, Oh, I see, yes. It's like, I'm sure, you know, I know I've got short hair, but come on. Then I am a woman who wears makeup and earrings and sometimes heels. The two things don't match up in their minds. This is not the perception of a vicar that they have been given or, of course, usually experienced. At least all of you and the people in this community And the children in our schools, which is the most important thing, won't, I hope, grow up with quite such a narrow image, having had me and Heather and then obviously people like Pauline in our team of clergy. In our readings today, we see Pontius Pilate struggling with a similar question. Are you the king of the Jews? You can almost hear the same tone as I hear when people ask, Are you a real vicar? It's a tone of disbelief, wonder, and one of trying to make sense of the reality that is standing in front of them. The two things don't fit and certainly don't seem to make sense. Pilate is looking at Jesus, who has been arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, bound and hauled down the hill to Annas and then to Caiaphas, the chief priest's house, blindfolded, mocked, spat upon and beaten before being taken by his accusers to Pilate's headquarters. 
On top of all that, his disciples have fled and Peter has denied having anything to do with him at this point. As Pilate, the governor of Rome for the province of Judea, with all his power, literally of life and death in his hands, grand robes and beautiful headquarters, stands in front of Jesus. He sees what must look like an absolutely broken man. Someone whose following has scattered, someone who is bruised, someone who is shaken from the way he has been treated by the soldiers, as well as the betrayal of him in the garden and the courtyard. I wonder how you picture this scene. If you were Pilate looking at Jesus at this particular point in the story, what would you notice? I'm going to give you a bit of quiet just to imagine yourself looking at Jesus in front of you and asking that same question. Are you the king of the Jews? What would you notice about this man in front of you? Pilate must have been very confused. You certainly don't look like one. Nowhere to rest your head or to call home. No fine robes. No power. No community to control. How can this man be a king? This man in front of him was, according to the crowds who had accompanied him into Jerusalem a few days earlier and gathered around him to hear his teaching in the temple in the subsequent days, their king. But now he has been handed over by these same people, along with the chief priests who cannot bear to hear him talk of kingdoms and himself as the son of God any longer. Jealousy and the potential loss of power and status stalks the corridors of the temple in those days. Fear bounces from pillar to pillar as Jesus teaches about the rising of the meek and the lowly, the poor, the outcast and the sinner. Whispered conversations have taken place in every corner. This is not their king. How can he be? We cannot allow such a thing. He threatens the whole of the status quo. We must take their king and make an example of him. Swiftly in those days between the triumphal entry into Jerusalem and the Passover meal, the crowd turns. Maybe after all, the message that this king bears is too hard to hear. And if you're poor and lowly and reliant on the powers that be, you better not rock the boat. Better to go along with the status quo. Otherwise, who knows what might happen to you or your family. If you show support for this man now, it might be you being asked to carry your cross to the top of a hill. Better not then. This king is no king after all. But Pilate is intrigued. 
What have you done? He asks. It's a good question, isn't it? What has Jesus done to be here in this particular situation? I'm going to play a game of bingo now, okay? Some of you like bingo. As to what has Jesus done? I have some cards over here with some words on them. So you can shout out whenever you like what you think Jesus might have done. And I'll see if I've got those words in here. Okay, ready? Off you go. What do you think Jesus has done to find himself in that situation? Healed people. I've definitely got that in here. Healed people. Okay, I'm going to put it on the steps. I know the people watching on YouTube won't be able to see that, but healed people. Okay, anything else that Jesus might have done? I'll give you a clue. All right, I'll I'll give you a clue to the words. This one begins with F. Forgiven. Thank you, Eddie. So he's forgiven people. He's healed people. Okay. Um, Right, this one. uh, Well, we'll ask um, Anna and Alex maybe this one. It's a bit um, tricky. I'll give you a clue, okay? So it's not, and there are three words. Um, the first word is <sighs> lifted, yeah? The second word is a really small word, begins with uh. Uh, uh. Up. And chill. What are you? You are excellent. Lifted up children. Remember? He told the authorities, stop telling them to go away. Okay, who else has he been with apart from children? Who else has Jesus been with? Yeah, people of all kinds, but particularly women. Shock horror. Absolute shock horror. That's why people can't cope with me being a vicar or Heather being a vicar. Women. Surely not. Foreigners, those from outside the community. Remember the parable of the Good Samaritan and the woman in Tyre and Sidon and the deceased, those who are crippled by mental, physical or spiritual unease. He's been with them. Oh, let's see, what did he do to those in power? Did he collude with them? No. What did he do then? He challenged them and criticised them. Criticised those in power for what they were not doing or the way in which they had taken the law and used it for their own ends. He had eaten with sinners. I'm going to go a bit faster now because I'm watching the clock. (laughs) So you're let off. Um, He had shown compassion. Oh, uh, just in case you didn't realise, he had raised the dead. Whoops. And fed the hungry. And in all of those things, he had proclaimed God's kingdom, proclaimed the kingdom in word 
and in action. Thank you, Linda. Not so bad, is it? Raised the dead, proclaimed the kingdom, lifted up children, helped, healed people, eaten with sinners, fed the hungry, forgiven people, mixed with women, foreigners and diseased, all those out on the outside of society, criticised those in power and showed compassion. Not so bad. If I could put my hand up and say I'd done all of those things, that would surely be a good thing. And yet, it's not something that is comfortable. And that's the point. What or where is his kingdom then if he is a king? Perhaps Pilate thinks he can understand him. Then he can do something to help. A kingdom that is not of this world, Jesus tells him, but a kingdom that is in the heart of all who hear his voice. It is a kingdom that exists all around Pilate and Jesus as they stand in the headquarters and a kingdom that exists all around each of us as we sit here in this building today. A kingdom that does not look like anything we could imagine. It is a kingdom that is like a mustard seed, like a landowner who pays everyone the same whether they come to labour in the morning or in the evening like a king who forgives the greatest debts, like a king who invites the poorest and lowliest to the feast. It is a kingdom where the prostitutes and the tax collectors will go ahead of the politicians and the rulers, where those who are like children will be welcomed, the poor of spirit, those who mourn, the meek, the peacemakers, the pure in heart, the persecuted, the merciful, and those who hunger and thirst for justice will enter. This is a kingdom unlike any other. It cannot be pointed to as existing here or there, like Pilate's headquarters or Caiaphas's house, or even as we touched on last week, the glorious temple. Instead, as Jesus says in Luke chapter 17, verse 20, the kingdom of God is not coming with things that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is. For in fact, the kingdom of God is among you. The kingdom of God is among you in raising the dead, in lifting up children, in healing people, eating with sinners, feeding the hungry, forgiving people, mixing with those on the outside of society, criticising and holding to account those in power and showing utmost compassion. That is the proclamation of the kingdom of God. This kingdom that you and I say we believe in because Jesus is our king. So, unfortunately, we need to turn the light on ourselves and look at ourselves. We might say that's an uncomfortable proposition because maybe as we look at ourselves, we know the times where we haven't even been a mustard seed but have metaphorically stopped sowing ourselves into the world or where we have judged people and thought things were unfair if others got more than we thought they deserved. Maybe we remember the times we have looked down on the women of the street, the drug users, the alcoholics, those with mental health issues, and perhaps we know our faith has become dried like a husk and we no longer thirst for knowledge as our children do. Maybe we've not sought peace, even amongst our own family and neighbours, let alone in the wider world. And maybe we've turned a blind eye to those who are persecuted or go hungry in our world. Maybe we don't have 
a place in this kingdom with this king? Well, the king who stands before Pilate talks of a kingdom that is not of this world. And as such, it is a kingdom where mercy and justice reign, where each and every person who claims Jesus as their king is given a seat at the table and given chance after chance after chance because this king finally wore a crown of thorns, a robe of purple, and surrendered all his authority to the nails that held him on a throne of crossed wood. This king, our king, Jesus, becomes the gateway to the kingdom. He opens the gate of glory that we might approach the throne boldly. The throne that Daniel speaks about, where God sits and Jesus at his right hand in a kingdom that is everlasting and cannot be destroyed. Jesus coming with the clouds of heaven to be our king everlasting, who through his great love has, as it says in Revelation, freed us from our sins, brought us home and sat us at the table to feast. This is the truth, that truth that Jesus talks about. And this is what we need to listen to. It's not a truth that's very comfortable, as Jesus shows us. Because not very often do you get brownie points for showing compassion. Sometimes you'll get hurt instead, and you'll get taken for granted. Sometimes if you criticise and hold those in power to account, they really don't like that and come back at you. Sometimes if we mix with those on the outside of our society, others will look at you and frown upon you and say, what are you doing? Sometimes, and it has happened to me, when you actually forgive somebody, really, truly forgive somebody from the heart, other people say, why are you doing that? They've done this or that. They've been terrible. The heart of the kingdom of God is forgiveness for you and for me. Feed the hungry. That's not just hungry in terms of physical needs, but in spiritual and emotional and psychological needs. Eat with sinners. Go and sit in Gloucester City Mission. Have a meal with the women on the streets. Heal people. We can all heal people with a smile. It doesn't really take all that much. Lift up children. Give them the place they deserve. And give them far more credit than we allow. And raise the dead. You might think, well, how on earth can I raise the dead? Again, we might not be able to raise the dead physically, but we can emotionally and spiritually. There are so many dead, in inverted commas, people in our community and our society who have lost all hope and are really, really struggling. If we can be one person who is alongside another person, who picks up the phone perhaps, or writes a card, then that is sometimes what raises the dead in spirit and emotion.
As we turn into Advent next week, we get a chance to take time to reflect on how our hearts might hold the kingdom of God. What changes might we want to make? Where do we need to ask God to enter more fully with grace that we may truly follow the truth of Christ? Hopefully, in your order of service, we're going to finish with this, um, you had a little sheet that had the call of the king on it. It was written by a man called Joseph Tetlow, and he was a Franciscan. I'll read it and you can follow it, and maybe you can have it to take home for yourself during Advent. Eternal Lord of all things, I feel your gaze upon me. I sense that your mother stands near watching and that with you are all the great beings of heaven, angels and powers and martyrs and saints. Lord Jesus, I think you have put a desire in me. If you will help me, please, I would like to make an offering of myself. I want it to be my desire and my choice, if only you want it to, to live my life as you lived yours. I know that you lived as an insignificant person in a little despised town. I know that you rarely tasted luxury and never privilege, and that you resolutely refused to accept power. I know that you suffered rejection by leaders, abandonment by friends, and utter failure. I know I can hardly bear the thought of it, but it seems a thing of such wonder that you might call me to follow you and stand with you. I will labour with you to bring God's reign to earth if only you will give me the grace to do it. Amen.